And so all of these different elements made me really excited to take the museum to the next direction. We are coming up on our 100th anniversary in 2028. So it's also a good time to not only reflect on our history, but also think about the future. So what makes Michigan a great state? I'm glad you asked. My name is Cliff Dubinois, and I'm on a quest to answer that exact question. After 20 years, I've returned to my native Michigan, and I'm looking to reconnect with my home state. I'm talking to the people who are behind Michigan's great businesses and top destinations. The same people who work hard every day to make our lives a little bit brighter. And you, Michigander, are coming along for the ride. This is the Call of Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Call of Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm sitting with Tracy Glam. She is the Executive Director of the Flint Institute of Art. If you haven't had an opportunity to come down here, you really should, because this place, uh, the photos online really don't do it justice, and the place is just absolutely beautiful. And we'll be talking with Trace today about uh, the FIA and uh, what it's done for the community as well as for preserving the arts. So, Tracy, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Sure. I grew up in Detroit, in Southwest Detroit, to be more specific, and my parents were working class and they had absolutely no interest in the arts whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) They were into motorcycles and bowling. And so that's what I really grew up around and with, but it was field trips to museums during my uh, schoolhood days, um, especially at the Detroit public schools that really got my interest in the arts and, and cultural aspect of life. And it was really, I really got hooked by it. So where did you go to college then? For my undergrad, I went to University of Michigan, Dearborn for art history. And then for my master's degree, I went to Wayne State University. Now, has it always been your interest or desire to work in the the art field, so to speak? Sort of. So when I was in high school, and and then even when I went first went to college, I thought I wanted to be a journalist. I was a writer. So I was really interested in pursuing that getting a job as a writer. And then I took an art history class and sort of just really saw a whole new world open to me where it had all the things I was interested in, art, history, culture, and writing, literature, most most artworks that famous or otherwise are usually connected or inspired by a writ- written word. Everything from history to the Bible to big narrative epics and like Shakespeare and, and Homer and the Odyssey and all of those kinds of uh, great mythology, Greek and Roman mythology. And and so my mind just really opened up to a whole new world that I didn't really know existed and switched my major from English to art history. And as part of that, I took an internship at a museum at the Detroit Institute of Arts and really began to see how I could have a career in, in art, using my art history degree. And the rest is history. I'm here now at the Flynn Institute of Arts. So how did you come to the Flynn Institute of Arts? I was working at the Detroit Institute of Arts. I was in the publication department. I was the editor of the Bulletin, which was the scholarly journal for the DIA. And I was also working on getting my master's degree. It was 2009, and it was also during the recession. 
and they laid off 65 employees. And I was one of those employees. They laid off someone from every single department. And in my department of publications, there was four people. So it was just sort of (laughs) the thing that I got laid off. They offered me a part-time job in exhibitions, which I took because I didn't want to leave the museum altogether. And it was also at the time I was, because I was getting my master's degree, I was really moving toward being a curator and I really wanted to be a curator. So I volunteered in my, because the exhibitions job was part-time to work in the European paintings department with, at the time, Salvador was the curator and really got so excited about, you know, thinking about being a curator. And, and again, I was working as an intern and he, Salvador, let me know about this job in, in Flint. And it was part-time, and it was grant-funded, and it, and it had to do with researching and writing a book on the Bray Gallery, which is the, the gallery that features our tapestries and furniture from the Renaissance and Baroque period. And I said, well, I don't think they're going to hire me because I don't have any curatorial experience. I have publications. That was, like, going in my favor, but I didn't have curatorial experience. But Salvador really encouraged me. He said, you know, just try. Just go you go ahead and do the interview. If nothing else, it's good experience. And so I did. I came up to Flint and did the interview, and I got the job. And worked part-time for about a year and a half here, again, on this grant-funded project, and eventually became was offered a full-time job, and that led me to be the department head of the curatorial department collections and exhibitions and I worked at that job for about 10 years so all total I've been at the Flint Institute of Arts for 14 years when the executive director John Henry was announced he was retiring I knew that I wanted to go for the throw your hat in the ring for the job yeah yes nice now before when you're talking about Salvatore who's Mm -hmm. that so currently he's the director of the DIA but at the time when I worked with him, he was the curator of European paintings. He's um, Salvador Solorpans is his name. And, and he's the director now at the DIA. So then the, the next question I got for you is, because I'd like to explore this a little bit more. You're talking about how just doing the curating just really ignited a passion in you. What do you think it was specifically about curating that just lit you on fire? Sure, I think... What I love about museums and what I loved about being a curator is that I think every object has a story to tell. Nice. It's a story of the humans who made it, needed it, paid for it, the that loved it, probably. And I think you can look at every object in a museum, everything from a an artifact from an ancient prehistoric culture all the way up to a modern painting and you can say that that object has a story to tell because it's it's something that the artist felt passionate about making or maybe it filled a need a lot of the works in our collections were never meant to be in a museum frankly they were made to be used in a house of worship or in a ritual or in some other aspect of life and it has since been collected by people who wanted to preserve that piece of history and and is now in a museum but it had a very different life outside of a museum so to answer your question about what inspired me curatorially I was able to first of all get 
close proximity to those objects and really get to study them up close and personal, but also to study why they were important. Why were they in a museum? What was their history? What was their background? And I just love that kind of thing. And again, it it goes back to my background as a writer and a storyteller. I really connect with those objects because of the story aspect. So for me, curating, what I always loved about it was to be able to share with people what this life of this object was prior to being in a museum, how we can relate to it today, and what does it teach us about ourselves. Wow, that's incredible. I love that answer. <laughs> the So now the previous director... Mm-hmm get ready to retire and you yep. decided, you know what, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. What I would like to do is just mm-hmm. take a moment and, and just ask the question. Cause there's a lot of people that hesitate because mm-hmm. they say, Oh, I'm not ready. I don't have enough education. <laughs> uh, I didn't have enough Wheaties right. this morning, whatever that excuse might be. What made you decide, you know what, I've got the skills mm-hmm. to do this. What, right. what was that thought process like? That's a really good question. I think it was not just one moment. I think it was several moments in my life that led me to that. I have a really strong support system in my life. My family has always been very supportive, especially my husband, Jonathan. He always saw the potential in me and encouraged me to do the next thing, even though it may have felt scary or like I couldn't do it. So I think the people in my life, I can definitely say that that's part of it. Another thing was I had really good mentors along the way. Nice. Both the previous director and other curators, other people that have worked at the Flint Institute of Arts always encouraged me to do what maybe was a challenge or something that was outside of my comfort zone. (laughs) And so I felt like all of those people really helped me in, in making that decision. But then also I thought, what do I have to lose? I mean, I really felt like if I, if I don't, if I try and don't get it that then I'll just have learned something about the whole process and maybe I'll try another day, not, not necessarily at this museum, but another one. But if I don't try, then I will never know. So that to me was more of an incentive to say that I have to do it. I have to give it a shot. And And I think at a certain point, you just have to do, and then the confidence comes later. I mean, sometimes I think action just brings the confidence, and you just have to embrace the fear that it's going to be part of it. Action brings confidence. I absolutely (laughs) love that. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. So for our audience, we're going to take a quick break here to thank our sponsors, and we'll be back in 60 seconds. Are you enjoying this episode? Then I've got an offer for you. There are many more inspirational stories that are lined up from ordinary people doing extraordinary things from all over the state of Michigan. I'd like to extend you an invitation to join our community. When you join our community, I will send you the top five interviews that people have really enjoyed. You'll also get my lessons learned from those interviews that can be applied to almost anyone's life who wants to impact the world around them. Just go to callofleadership.com join Get this sent to your inbox, get on our email list, stay up to date with all the behind the scenes goodies of the making of the show. And trust me, great things are happening. 
Just go to callofleadership.com slash join. The link is in the show notes down below. And now back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And we are talking with Tracy Glab from the FIA. Now, Tracy, before the break, we were talking a little bit about your your decision to mm-hmm. become the director here at the FIA. What I would like to do is I would like to start talking now about because every director that comes mm-hmm. in, every mm-hmm. person that's you know in charge, it's it's your vision, it's your tempo, it's it's your pace. When you come in here, the, the mm-hmm. vision that you have, so that way you know you communicate that with the staff. Why don't you share with us a little bit about when you when you took over? Mm-hmm. What was your vision going forward? Sure. Well, I really one of the things that made me so excited about being the executive director here is my familiarity with the collection. It was an astounding collection, over 9,000 objects from ancient to contemporary. And so I knew we had a really strong foundation and just the objects that we, that we have, but we also have a tremendous art school here that is a community based art school and very robust and interesting classes. And I was excited about how those two together would really be would work together and be something that would really inspire the community and bring the community together in interesting ways the building itself is beautiful as you mentioned at the top or where it's it's does it looks better even in in person than than on pictures so I knew we had all these really strong elements. The staff here also were amazing, and and I I knew that because I was one of them, and 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 work, got to work with them. And so all of these different elements made me really excited to take the museum to the next direction. We are coming up on our hundredth anniversary in twenty twenty eight, so Happy it's also birthday. a good time to not only reflect on our history but also think about the future. And for me. I think we can only keep growing in terms of our diversity of our audience, what we, the people that that come here and and use our facilities, whether it's the art school or the museum. And I was really excited about the ways that we can start to build bridges into the community. And we've been doing that. It's not like that, that my directorship would be bringing something new. We have been doing that. But I wanted to explore different ways we could do that and see what might be possible. Some of my ideas, you know, are going out into the community and and seeing ways we can make those connections with people where they live. And also just to really find out from the community what they want from their museum. So, and I really want that emphasis to be their museum. So this is a public, we hold all of these objects in the public trust. That's what a museum is. And so I want to, I want everyone to feel like it's their museum and it's not us and them, but it's all of us together. So for me, that that was really part of my mission is to 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 bring more people into the museum, make them feel a sense of ownership, and also find out from our community how to do that. Because to me, I don't have the all the answers. One of my core values is listening. So I really wanted to, and I still want to both listen to our community that we serve as well as our staff. So just to hear from people what they want and and also ways that we can achieve that goal. So I don't think I have all the answers and I want to hear from other people. So 
And I think that's really clever that you're doing that because I could see that from a lot of people's standpoint, they're, you know, Hey, let's get billboards on 75. Let's try to <laughs> capture as much tourist yeah. traffic as we possibly can. Right. But your approach to this is, Hey, let's go out in the community. There are so many people here mm-hmm. that probably live within a mile or two mm-hmm. of FIA have never been here. They might know that it's here, but why would I go to a museum? Sure. So by going out and, and taking the pulse of mm-hmm. the community right. and finding out, hey, you know, what is it that that you like, or what would, what would th- be things that you would right. look for, what would interest you, uh, I think would be really critical to make sure you're getting more people to come to the to museum. Mm-hmm. To you said nine thousand pieces. Well, nine thousand five hundred right now is, oh, is, is the average. <laughs> we, we 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 fluctuate here and there, but that's that's about the that, that's the gist of it right now. Yeah, just to just try to get those community people in here to take advantage of this. And now they're not all on view. That that big number is always kind of deceiving. Uh, we only have space in our galleries to show about eight percent of that, but we rotate objects. We put objects out in different installations and exhibitions, so we try to get that those objects rotating out through the galleries everything is available on our website though if you do if you are interested to seeing what we have we have everything published online now when you're talking about like 9,500 pieces and you're talking like only eight percent of them are on display at any (laughs) point in time let's talk a little bit about the types of objects that you have is it just pure Michigan history is it world history what is this it's world history, not 100% complete, but very comprehensive for a museum our size. So we start off in our first galleries, if I could just t- take you through a, like a, a virtual walkthrough, uh, with the Art of America's gallery. We have both indigenous artwork from uh, the ancient Americas, so the time before Columbus, and from Mexico, Costa Rica, South America, those countries, as well as we have gallery dedicated to indigenous uh, art from the United States, from different Native American cultures, as well as in Canada. So we have these different galleries that are themed to reflect the art of that area. We sort of, So we sort of start off geographically. We move on to Arts of Africa, where we have lots of different objects mostly masks and other ritual items that would have been associated with different cultural groups in Africa from all various countries. And because Africa is a continent, it's it's very large, and so there's lots of different different cultures represented. And then we move to the arts of Asia, where we have everything from China to Japan to Southeast Asia. We then have European art from roughly the 17th century up to the Baroque period. So we're looking at paintings and sculpture and tapestries from the time period. We also have American art from both 19th century up to present day. And our European art also carries over to present day. We have an entire wing dedicated to contemporary craft, which is glass and ceramics. And this all dates from the 21st century to present and then we have special exhibition galleries which like I said we we feature different artwork from mostly themed exhibitions different styles or artists or even techniques we might be focusing on different aspects of art make the art making process so and those rotate out 
So if you come here in the fall, you're going to see a totally different museum than when you came in the spring. So it's that kind of idea that the exhibitions constantly change, but the permanent collection or these other galleries I just described stay pretty static. How do you go about deciding what's going to be like what the new exhibit is going to be. Does it, is it something that you do like every July? Mm-hmm. This is the exhibit that you have, or is it just every year you look at the calendar and it's a long process because these exhibitions often take a great deal planning because most of the time they're loaned exhibitions, meaning we don't own the objects. They're on loan to us. Okay. So the current exhibition we have right now is called Enchanted, a History of Fantasy Illustration. And they're all artworks on loan from the Norman Rockwell Museum. So that was an exhibition cool. that we started working with the Norman Rockwell Museum about two years ago. And knowing that it would eventually come to the Flint Institute of Arts, it opened at their venue and then came to us after another venue in between. And those are, but to get back to your question of how we choose, we tend to look at exhibitions as a way to both fulfill our mission, uh, which is to the to advance the understanding and appreciation for art, of art for all. And then also see how it fills a need because we, for something like the fantasy exhibition, for example, we don't have anything like that in our collection. So we wouldn't be able to show an exhibition quite like this. So it filled a need. And then we're also looking at different demographics of audience that we want to reach, whether it's younger group or maybe someone that maybe is sort of a popular appeal this exhibition because it deals with Dungeons and Dragons and Game of Thrones <laughs> and <laughs> Lord of the Rings all of those kinds of things that are, are kind of a popular subjects right now not necessarily something that you would see in an art museum so we're, we're kind of looking at those different things audience builders because most of our exhibitions, that is the audience driver. People will come to see the FIA just because they're interested in our collection. But a lot of times, the out-of-town visitors that we get are for special, ex- or these temporary exhibitions. Another part of the planning process is that we run everything by our exhibition committee, which is made up of board members. And so it's a volunteer-based committee that review all of our special exhibitions to see if it's something that we want to have in our galleries. Which actually brings up a good point. Mm -hmm. There are so many exhibitions that are going on out there. So many museums (laughs) doing so many different things. You brought, when you were talking about how you go through and you're trying to pick out the ones that, Mm -hmm. you know, you think would be a good fit for the FIA, your mission, this Mm -hmm. community. All of a sudden I started thinking of the number of times that you've said no to an exhibition. Sure. We have to turn down a lot. And some of that is due, frankly, to funding. We can't afford to have every exhibition that is offered to us. Some of them are very expensive because they take a lot of time and associated costs to organize the exhibition. Sometimes it's just not available to us. There's a lot of major exhibitions out there that people say, oh, wouldn't that be great to come to Flint? And sure, we would love that, but they're not available because they're only three, three city tour or something. They, they might Certainly. not be available to us. The other aspect of this is schedule, because even if we had the money and we had the 
availability, it might not fit our schedule because we already had booked something two years ago. We So there's a lot of variables that go into it, and sometimes it's just a matter of the right place at the right time and having everything aligned just so perfectly. Now, ex- museums, and including us, often organize our own exhibitions, so this kind of gives us a little bit more control over the subject matter and the when and the cost. But those can be expensive as well, just because if they're often involving loans that require shipping, and that can be expensive, especially nowadays with fuel prices and, and labor shortages that are just a reality of life now and, and kind of how raise the prices for these kind of exhibitions. Now, if somebody were coming here for the first time, what would be an exhibit or maybe uh, two exhibits or something that you would say, you know, if you're going to come here, yeah. here's something you should take a look at. Sure. I p- would pick two things. I would pick our Bray Gallery. That is our gallery that features the Renaissance and Baroque artwork. It features 10 tapestries that you cannot see anywhere in the world because there was only 10 of this subject matter. There's only one set of 10 ever made. So it is something that is unique to the world and unique to Flint. And it's always on view. We don't ever deinstall that gallery. That's And it's just an interesting place to walk into. You feel like you're going back in time to the Renaissance. The second thing I would say is our contemporary craft wing, because again, it's something that is pretty unique for our area uh, in terms of the amount of glass and ceramics that you can see at one time. It's beautifully installed and it's a place that feels very serene and everyone that tells me that, that comes to visit us says it's one of their favorite galleries because it is so relaxing and kind of a reflective place to be. Wonderful. And Tracy, if somebody's listening to this interview and they do want to check out mm-hmm. the FIA, mm-hmm. what would be what would be the best way to connect with you? Sure. Tell us where you're located. Sure. Well, we're located in the heart of the Flint Cultural Center, which is on East Kersley Street. We're right next door the the Longway Planetarium across from Sloan Museum of Discovery. And right next door to the Flint Public Library. So we're right in this heart of the cultural center. There's lots of always available parking here, which and it's free. That's something that when I hear from people in Detroit, they're always like amazed that you don't have to pay for parking. <laughs> so free parking. And we are open seven days a week and free on Saturdays, thanks to Huntington Bank. So it whether you live in the county or not, you can get in free on Saturday. If you are in Genesee County, we are free every day for Genesee County residents as part of the Arts Enrichment Culture Millage that was passed a few years ago. The phone number, if people want to call and have any questions, is 810-234-1695. Or you can go to flintarts.org and we'll also have all of our information about what's what exhibitions are on, what amenities we have. We have a cafe here that serves amazing sandwiches and soups that are all made from scratch. Nice. And we also have a, a wonderful museum shop. So we have lots of things, fun things to do. Oh, I should, I, I can't, I can't neglect mentioning that on Saturdays and Sundays, thanks to McLaren Healthcare, we have free live glass blowing demonstrations on the hour. And it's so much fun to watch how glass is made and then you can go into the glass gallery and see how artists have interpreted the subject of glass. So it's quite a fun thing to be able to do both of those in just one place. 
And for our audience, we will have all those links in the show notes down below. Tracy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today and learning a lot more about the FAI. So, FIA, excuse me. So, uh, <laughs> thank you for letting me come in here and, uh, and ask you all these questions. So, thank you again. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. 